Luke 7, verses 18 through 23. John's disciples told him about all of these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Emily pretty much just gave my sermon, and she gave it in five minutes, and I'm going to take like 35 minutes to do the same thing. Um, but we, you know, we're in this series on encounters with Jesus, as you know, and, and today we get to look at this encounter with John the Baptist. It's not a direct encounter. He's in prison, and Jesus is out doing his ministry, but through the, John's disciples, they have an encounter that I find absolutely fascinating. I want to look into it today. Um, the context is, you know, Jesus is at the height of his ministry. He's out preaching, teaching, healing, and uh, John is retired from ministry, we could say. He is actually in prison, and, uh, and he, um, you know, I just, I'm so struck by the question that John asks. Um, I don't know if you thought through this much, but look at verse 19. He sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are, are you the one who's to come, or should we expect someone else? I just think that's... That is wild, I, I'm, that, that that question is asked, Me, meaning he's saying, are you the Messiah or, or not? That's the one who's to come. Like, are you the, this long-awaited king? Um, are you that guy or, or aren't you? And so apparently Jesus is doing some things or not doing certain things that are not meeting John's expectations enough that John would go, I'm unclear if you're the guy or not. And I just think, like, hearing that question from that, Man, this is John the Baptist, J the B, I like to call him. Um, we're on those terms with each other. But think about like, honestly, think about like, who's asking that question? This is John the Baptist. This guy, many of you know his story. He shows up in the Christmas story, right? He's got these, these parents, miracle birth. He is, it says, filled with the Spirit, uh, even in the womb. He like, he's prophesying in the womb when Jesus comes, baby Jesus in Mary's womb and him in his mom's womb. Like, he's filled with the Spirit. He's sent out into the wilderness, has this amazing ministry. He has prophesied in, uh, in the Old Testament. He's the great prophet, the forerunner of the Christ. He's the one who is to prepare the way for Jesus, right? And, and, and he himself isn't sure if Jesus is the guy or not, right? That this doesn't bode well for the ministry of Jesus, right? And I just, I love that this question is in the Bible, that, the, the, that in this case, Luke includes this story of the forerunner, the one to prepare the way. He himself is doubting whether the Messiah is the Messiah, in you know, ancient biographies of the day, like you paint your characters in the best possible terms. Your heroes 
are always, it's, you, it's like black and white terms, like there, there's not a lot of gray in ancient biographies, okay? If you're trying to promote a propaganda that you want to spread, you do not include stories like this in your biography of Jesus, and there's so many other examples of this. I mean, Jesus in the garden himself is going to start doubting. Like um, the night before he's supposed to fulfill his calling, he's like asking for an audible from God. Okay, that, these, these do not bode well as PR stunts for, um, for your hero. And what I love about this, there's no reason, especially in that culture, to include stories like this unless you think you're communicating the truth. Unless you think, I'm telling you what actually happened. And um, this is what actually happened. And I, uh, I just love this. I, I, I love this. And um, I want to talk about doubt, as, as Mark mentioned today. I mean, here you have the forerunner of the Messiah in a moment of, of doubt about whether Jesus is, is the one. It's, he's just clearly not meeting his expectations. He's not fitting in whatever categories John had for Messiah. And so I want to talk about doubt today in the Christian life. Um, I'm so grateful that Emily shared that story. Uh, I think that doubt is one of the unspoken realities in this room every single Sunday, right? Many of us in this room uh, step into this room with all sorts of doubts, questions, wrestlings, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I think in the church, oftentimes, we don't know what to do with doubt, right? We, we just... We don't have a category for knowing how to feel about it. And uh, some of us, uh, we might have grown up in, in churches where doubt just was a no big no-no, right? Like, we are people of faith, right? This is about faith. Don't doubt, just believe. And so there wasn't any room made uh, for the, the kind of authentic, real, like, I don't know kinds of uh, experiences internally. Uh, or if there was, it was in, like, youth group, you know, like when we were kids, when we were in Sunday school or when we were in youth group, right, we, we would, people would come in and share the reasons that the Bible is real and, and why Christianity makes sense. And we'd have small groups and you could ask any question that you wanted, right? Like that's what kids do. Uh, but then if you've been in the church for a while, you're, there's sort of this unspoken, like you're just supposed to over time, and no one told us how this works, but over time, you're supposed to have those questions sort of wrapped up in your mind in some way. And most of us never got clear answers to some of those big questions, but we just thought, I guess I'm never going to get those, so I'll just kind of tuck that away and, and keep going with this journey of faith in the church. And so now in adult small groups, you don't have, it's not always, you know, welcome where someone's like, I don't know if I believe what I just read. Like, that's youth group stuff, but as adults, um, is, that, is, is there room for that? And so I think a lot of us in this room have all sorts of questions and doubts uh, that we often choose not to admit to one another. Um, and oftentimes, I think we actually, as we get old, we stop admitting it to ourselves. And, and the feeling is like, this question is so big. Um, it's like, if I open this question, it's like opening Pandora's box. And I don't know where that journey goes. And I got, I got a husband and, and three kids to take care of, right? Like, I don't, have time, I don't have time for that. It's just a little overwhelming. And of course, we all have our different experiences of, of doubt. For some of us, it's not an issue. Um, and some of us, it's a big issue. Uh, I was reading this week about doubt. I, I, liked, I heard the analogy. One guy said, doubt is like, um, like a house guest. You know, like you've got your home, 
And then you've got guests. And sometimes you have those sort of uninvited guests that just sort of show up at your doorstep. You know, hey, how's it going? You know, and hey, can we come in and can we stay the weekend? I don't, I don't have any guests like that, but... Um, <laughs> and they kind of blow through and, and then they leave. And then, you know, then guests come back a couple months later and I thought that's such a good analogy. Like, that's how doubt often works. I'm kind of going through my life and it kind of comes in as a guest for a while and sometimes it's a big guest, it's a loud guest, uninvited. Sometimes it's more subtle and then it leaves uh, and then it comes back and then it goes away and um, I think that's often how many of us experience it. Um, this is, I'll just tell you, this is something very close to my heart. Um, my own journey, doubt has played a very crucial and significant role. Um, my, my deep moment with Jesus, kind of the, the season of my life where I really gave my life to Jesus was in college. And that, that followed the most intense season of doubt of my life, where I was classic college experience. I don't know what I believe anymore. And my world was turned upside down. And out of that, I feel like Jesus found me. Uh, and so my own story uh, is very, doubt is a very central part of my own story. Uh, and even after that conversion, um, I'll just tell you, in the last 25 years, I, I think I've, I've had seasons where I've doubted almost every major doctrine <laughs> of Christianity, um, like, like the authority of Scripture, um, the Trinity, uh, the second coming of Christ. Like, these aren't, like, these are big ones, and I've had seasons where I'm, I'm wrestling uh, with, with those things. It's, a, it's kind of a professional hazard as a pastor to uh, have that, but uh, that's what it is. Um, and I think partly because of that, over the years, it's been such an honor for me um, to walk with people through seasons of their authentic doubt and wrestlings. Like, for me, that's sacred space. And it's funny, uh, <laughs> Emily said, I think Dave was a little excited. You know, maybe I was a little overzealous, you know, but, um, but it just it taps into my own story. And so I, I just feel like, oh, that is such sacred space where we're wrestling with the deep questions where, where things are just working through. So um, all that to say, I want to look at this passage today and look at John, and um, I want to talk about some of the sources of doubt, and then I want to see how, how Jesus responds. And uh, I want to do what Emily mentioned. I want to end by going, what does it look like to doubt well? How do you doubt well? Um, so let's look at this, this fascinating passage. Um, so John is asking this question, and I'm going to suggest uh, two sources uh, that are triggering doubts and questions for John. And the first one I'll put in the category of uh, philosophical or theological. Okay? Jesus isn't fitting his philosophical the theological grid. Um, look at verse 18. This is really interesting. John's disciples told him about all these things. And if you go back to what all these things are, you could read the last couple chapters. Here's what Jesus has been doing. He's been healing people. He's been casting out demons. He's been teaching uh, he's been doing his public ministry, and they tell John all of those things, and yet John still comes back after hearing that with the question, are you the Messiah or not? So apparently, all those things that I think are pretty awesome are not meeting John's expectations for who the Messiah is supposed to be and what he's supposed to be up to. So I want to um, remind you, like, what do, maybe what was John expecting from the Messiah? So I'm going to take you back uh, to the beginning of the gospel, to John's ministry, to some of the things he said. This is John speaking at the height of his ministry. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat, those are the good people, into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff, the bad people, with unquenchable fire. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Okay? So John, I think, is expecting a messianic king who's going to come and clean house in Israel. He's going to reward the righteous, and he's going to judge uh, the evildoers, and it will be clear and explicit. And I think John is not seeing the kind of house cleaning he was expecting in Israel from Jesus' uh, Jesus' ministry. Jesus has been doing his ministry for a while now. Nothing has substantially changed, actually, in Israel. Rome, the great evil, Rome is still in power. Jesus is doing nothing about that. Uh, And the corrupt religious leadership of the day that John regularly called out, Jesus has done nothing to to get them out of leadership. Uh, All the major things are still there. He's just kind of up in the north in, in Galilee, healing random kind of village people, (laughs) and not the band. Um, But uh, that's not meeting John's expectations. None of this is making sense. And again, we we have 2,000 years of hindsight in in terms of what the Messiah came to do. Nobody was expecting Jesus to do it the way he did. No one's expecting Messiah to suffer and die. That's completely out of their, their whole worldview, And so John is not seeing the house cleaning he's expecting. This, I think, is what's going on here. And so he's wondering, like, hey, you're not fitting my messianic category. Um, Are you the one? And so I want to just pause there before I give you the other source, because I think for people today, us in this room even, um, that's a category of doubt. I'll just call it the philosophical, uh, theological categories that, that... Christianity and Jesus somehow isn't fitting within our sort of philosophical or theological categories for how it should work. And I want to give you, to me, as I look out at the world today, two specific sources of doubt in in this category of like philosophical doubt that most people struggle with in the church. Uh, The first is, of course, the scientific doubt, that we live in a scientific age now. Okay, these are very different philosophical issues than what John had. <laughs> we'll see it. It's almost opposite issues, actually. But I think today, if you ask the average person in church, what are some of the things that give you pause? One of the things is science. Right? We live in a scientific age, and the, the findings of this world that, that science has discovered uh, seems to be at odds with the worldview that is presented in this book. Right? Things like the age of the earth, um, evolutionary theory, um, the way things actually work. And we believe in this story and kind of like Emily said, like um, you believe like in a literal Adam and Eve and, um, and you, you believe in miracles. Like we know that miracles can't happen and resurrections. And then there's like these spiritual beings like angels and demons. It all starts to feel a little, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Superstitious, right? I think that's a, how, how, do we, how do we reconcile, how do we harmonize what we're finding out in science with what we find out in this book? And I actually, I, I don't think that that is a journey that we have to be afraid of. I think if God is real, uh, I think he's the God of all reality. And um, all that science can ultimately tell us is how God did it and how God does it. Um, so I don't think that's a journey we have to be afraid of. But I would say that's a major source for many people. Uh, and then the other source, I would say, and maybe even increasingly so, the other source of, of doubt is what I would call moral 
doubt. It's this idea that actually Jesus um, doesn't fit our moral categories according to uh, Western uh, American moral categories in, in, in all the ways that are opposite of John. I think, I think like John felt like Jesus was too soft, right? Jesus, he was looking for a Jesus who was harsher. I think today people have the exact opposite moral challenge. Christianity feels too harsh. Um, and we're living in a time of individual expressivism, right? Expressive individualism, I should say. That's a better way of saying it. Um, where, where it's all about individual freedom and autonomy and what I discover in my, in my heart that, that that ought to, the moral good is for that to be given free reign and expression in this world. And uh, Scripture sometimes offends those modern moral sensibilities, right? Think of like the... Um, uh, the sexual ethic of, of the Bible, the Bible's comments about marriage, about uh, gender. Um, you think of the existence of hard things in the Bible, the existence of slavery in the Bible, not that the Bible is promoting that, but the existence of that, or the way that women were treated uh, throughout Scripture, some things that are said about them. You think especially about all the stuff around judgment in the Bible, like that there's a heaven and a hell, uh, and that Jesus makes these claims that feel pretty exclusive, like you have to come to me in order to find life. Um, I think th those are creating moral doubts. Like this doesn't feel like a moral re religion to me. Like I, I, I kind of compelled by Jesus, but I have this delightful friend who's a Buddhist. Like what, what are you saying? What are you saying about that situation? And, um, and I think this is the growing doubt that our culture has with Jesus is, is more the, the moral uh, doubts. And um, what's really interesting, I think this is an important thing to remember, is that every culture has its own moral sensibilities that are very different from other cultures, okay? So, for instance, in Jesus' day, the idea of a crucified Messiah, a Messiah who gets crucified on a cross, they live in an honor and shame culture. So the average first century Jew is morally offended by the idea that Messiah would get crucified, okay? It's called, it's called an offense. The cross is an offense to the Jews. Okay, we don't, have, we don't start with that at all, right? That seems beautiful. Like, what an act of sacrifice. They were morally offended by that. You have other religious cultures or other philosophical cultures where their view of the world is is one of, of justice. Like you think about cultures that believe in reincarnation. It's, a, it's, a, it's like a pure, just system. You come back in a certain way according to how well you behaved in your previous life. And for those cultures, the idea of just like grace, like you, just, you can just be let free of all the bad things you've ever done, that is, is morally offensive to those cultures. Today in our culture, again, we believe in this sort of uh, expressive individualism and, some, and things around uh, judgment and things around certain boundaries are morally offensive to us. And I just want to say, every culture assumes that they are living in the height of morality. Right? This is the, the, uh, the underlying assumption we make is like, we know, we've figured out morality better than every other culture. And so, you know, Jesus is kind of like an equal offender of various cultures, but in very different ways, depending on where we come from. But all that to say, th these are some of the sources of doubt today. I, I call them philosophical questions about Jesus. Many of us in this room feel those profoundly, and I totally get all of that.
Okay, you still with me? Yeah. yeah. So John's got his theological, philosophical categories of doubt. Um, but I think there's also something running deep in John, I suspect, that is creating doubt, that is something far more personal than just abstract. And it's this. He's in prison. Right? John is in prison. Uh, he is not in a modern prison. He's in an ancient Middle Eastern prison. And he is there for trying to be faithful to God's call on his life. And I just... Um, I was thinking about John, reflecting on his life. Like, John's story is one of the heaviest stories in the Bible for me. Like, his, the, the trajectory of his life is one of the saddest uh, in the Bible for me. And I, I just want you to feel it today. I want you to like, feel where John's life went for a minute, okay? So let me just trace his story. I mentioned earlier, right? It starts with these, the Christmas story, this miraculous beginnings. He had parents who are well over the age to have children, and, and God gives them this miracle baby, John. He's, he's um, filled with the Spirit, even in the womb, it says. Uh, and then he begins this dynamic ministry out in the wilderness. And, and I would suggest that John's ministry was every much as popular as Jesus' ministry ever was. In their lifetimes, John's ministry absolutely equaled, possibly even was more well-known uh, than Jesus. People coming out in droves to hear him preach. People are confessing their sins. They're being baptized. There's this, this, it's revival out in the desert. And John is this, I mean, he's right at the center of everything that God is doing. And then he meets Jesus when Jesus comes out to be baptized by him, right? And John testifies. He, he says, I saw the Spirit Come down on Jesus, land on him. I heard the voice from heaven say, this is my son, the one we've been waiting for. He's come out, and now I see him, and he has been revealed publicly. The guy I've been preparing everybody for has been publicly revealed. And I was thinking this week, I wonder what John thought was going to happen next. Right? Like his whole life has been building to this moment. Jesus steps onto the public scene, and it, everyone sees it. What was John expecting next. I don't know. I imagine like, oh, there's going to be this, we're going to move forward together and Jesus is going to step into this thing. I'll be with him and we'll, we'll be working together in this ministry that will ultimately end up with him gaining popularity and power and, and ultimately establishing his rule with me as his forerunner. I had something like that. It had been exciting and awesome. And at that moment, from that moment on, I think everything went in a direction John probably was not expecting. Um, Jesus almost, he doesn't collaborate with John at all. I, I would have thought, surely we're gonna collaborate together on how we're gonna do this. Jesus keeps his own ministry um, separate from John. And people start going over to Jesus and going away from John. Remember, this is, uh, I love this passage. Um, John's disciples come to John and say, Rabbi, that man, they're talking about Jesus, who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, look, he's baptizing, now everyone's going over to him. But John was, he was at the center of everything, and now he has this sort of waning ministry, and everyone's moved on towards Jesus. Um, John says this, man can receive only what is given him from heaven. He must become greater, I must become less. And he, I think he accepts that. Like, I've played a part, and he's becoming greater. Now, there's a joy for me in that. I've prepared people for this. Uh, and then John calls out Herod Antipas for his unlawful marriage, and Herod throws him in jail. 
And so Jesus' ministry is building. John's been used for a purpose, and now he's sitting in jail. We don't know for how long. Um, spoiler, John is going to die. He's going to be beheaded. He's not getting out of jail, okay? Jesus isn't going to come and visit him or rescue him. Um, he's going to die at the whim of, of an uh, evil uh, ruler. Um, this is where his life goes. This man who had been so faithful to the call. And I'm just feeling that this week. And so he's stuck in prison. We don't know, months, years. Uh, Jesus isn't rescuing him. The, the Messiah who's supposed to release the prisoners, right? That's what Isaiah's ministry said. Um, he's alone in a, probably a dark cell uh, with nothing but his thoughts. And I imagine the enemy starting to, you know, stir some stuff up in his head. And he, if I'm him, I'm thinking, what the heck, <laughs> right? None of this, none of this has gone the way I expected it to go. Uh, and doubts, there's doubts, and there's deep, maybe even deep disappointment stirring. And, and, it, and an idea starts to grow in his mind, maybe I had this wrong. Like, maybe this isn't the guy. And so, deeply personal <laughs> issues, I think, were also to bear on on why John would be asking this question. And so I think that, that's the other category of doubt I think that we need to address is, you know, you've got the kind of philosophical, you know, intellectual ideas that, that Jesus doesn't fit. But then we've got these, these personal lives that we live in. And as I've looked out, so often where doubt comes from in most people is just the simple idea that life has not gone the way I'd hoped it would. Like in just simple terms, life... Um, life has not gone as I expected, and it certainly has not gone as I had hoped. And for some people, that there, there's a relational life that they had hoped for uh, in some form um, that, has, that hasn't come to fruition or um, that has been very broken, and that's painful. Some people, it's a vocational life. When they were 18 in high school and college, they, they had these you know, these great visions of the kinds, the kinds of things they're going to do in life, and now they've been stuck 20 years in a 9 to 5. It's thoroughly uninspiring, and um, it's just sort of, you know, day-to-day -day life. Um, I think some people, there's internal stuff. There's sins in their life that they've never been able to kick, never been able to be freed from, and that, that, can, be, that can do a number on you. Um, or conditions, if I can say. There's anxiety, um, depression, right, that, that stirs up, and you think, you know, we, we saw the woman at the well a couple weeks ago, and Jesus talks about a spring of living water. And you're like, where the heck is that? Is, is this what we're talking about? Like, is this it? Um, I'm not getting any of that. Um, life just hasn't gone as we'd hoped. It's deeply disappointing and painful. And I, I was thinking this week of multiple people in our community and beyond our community. Um, well, I just feel, I feel like, gosh, life has just dealt them up a bad hand, like the cards they've been dealt are really tough to, to play. And um, I was thinking of a lunch I had with a guy um, a couple years back who kind of walked away from the faith. And I asked him, tell me, tell me more about that. And his comment, I'll never forget, he said, it just didn't work. Like that was his comments, it, it didn't work. The people that were supposed to be good people weren't good people. The, the circumstances that were supposed to work out, the spirit that was supposed to move, it didn't, it just, in very real concrete ways, it, it didn't work. 
And um, I've said this recently, but I think every single one of us has a prosperity gospel theologian deep inside of us. I really do. I mean, I, I do, right? Like we're not, we're not watching the, the uh, you know, TV preachers preaching that stuff necessarily, but, but deep down there's absolutely a thought that I think if, I'm fa- if I faithfully pursue God, um, he's going to make my life better. Like we, Almost all of us think that. He's going to, or he'll protect me from some of the major things. Even though we know intellectually that's not true because Christians have all sorts of things going on, but we deeply think that in our core. And then if it doesn't happen, it can be very um, disorienting and, and we can become very disillusioned. Um, the Psalms regularly can kind of, right, portray that disillusionment, that, that, that wrestle, God, where are you? What, what, is, what is going on? Um, so we've got these different reasons for doubt. Doubt's rarely an isolated thing. I've learned we're, we're such holistic people. Um, doubt is rarely purely intellectual or purely experiential. The way our, our, we are, we're such holistic that everything kind of impacts everything else. So all that to say, John's got these questions, these wrestlings. He's got the, the abstract questions, but he's got the deeply personal questions. And I think we all bring that um, oftentimes. So let's look at Jesus' response. All right, what does Jesus have to say to this doubting prophet? Uh, Let's take a look. Um, First off, I'll just say I love that, at least by my reading, Jesus does not scold or criticize John in this passage. He says, hey, stop doubting. You shouldn't shouldn't doubt. That's a bad thing to do. Like, I think he actually takes a moment to affirm John. Look at verse 24. We didn't have this read. But Jesus says this, after John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Would you go out into in, the, the wilderness to see? What kind of a guy was John, right? Um, he goes on, verse 20, 26. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This was the one about whom it is written. This is uh, Malachi. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John, okay? By my reading, that is an affirmation. John was the prophet. John was the foretold in the, in the prophets. He was the one to come, prepare, come the way, to prepare the way for me, and none has been greater than him. In John's moment of doubt, Jesus publicly affirms him. He doesn't scold him or criticize, criticize him, and I love that. So I see that as Jesus has plenty of room for authentic questions and doubts. We're not scolded. We're not criticized. We're not said, just keep that to yourself. No, no, this is a part. He knows. He understands that he doesn't fit expectations. Absolutely understands that. And he has a lot of room, I believe, for authentic, sincere questions and doubts. Certainly he did for John. And if he did for John, who should know better, right? Surely he does for ordinary folks like us. So that's, I think, an important thing. I think we're given freedom to engage in this. Uh, Second, uh, actually, this is the first thing he does. Uh, He simply points to his ministry as the answer to John's doubts, right? Look at verse uh, 21. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. John responds by saying, my ministry speaks for itself. So just tell him what you see and hear. And what's interesting is the way Jesus phrases his ministry, he's actually drawing on some of the language of the prophet Isaiah. 
because John has fra- had framed his own ministry in language of Isaiah. Let me just show you this for you uh, nerds like me. Um, when John started his ministry, they said, who are you? Are you a prophet? Are you, are you, what are you? Are you Elijah? He said, no, this is who I am. John replies, he says, with the words of Isaiah, I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. That's Isaiah 40. He said, I am, I am the fulfillment of Isaiah 40, the one who would prepare the way of the Lord. So Jesus, the language he uses here is drawing on language in Isaiah. Let me show you a couple passages in Isaiah. Um, Be strong, do not fear, your God will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. The spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Okay, scholars, most scholars say Jesus is echoing some of those passages as if to say, John, you put your ministry in the context of Isaiah. Let me show you how I am the fulfillment of Isaiah. Um, My ministry speaks for itself, though. Just look and see what this is. This is my best defense, is what I'm doing and saying. So go back and report to John what you see and hear. And I think that's a beautiful thing for us. I think Jesus says to us, I speak, my my ministry speaks for itself. Keep coming back. Keep coming back to the things I said and did. What do you see in me? What do you hear in me? This is my best defense for my, that I am who I say I am. And then finally, look at Jesus' words here, verse 23. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Or your translation might say, who does not fall away, or who is not offended, or who does not take offense at me. Jesus, I think, is using a word there that that I want to give you a word picture, okay? So I want to show you a place where this word is used in 1 Peter. The word, the word picture is a, is a picture of a rock on a path. Okay, listen to this. See, I lay, this is God speaking, a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. But then it says, a stone that causes people to stumble, that's our word, and a, a rock that makes them fall. Okay, so here's the word picture. Imagine yourself walking down uh, a nice path okay, in the woods, but right in the middle of the path, there's a stone that's been laid. And the stone is Jesus. Okay? And Jesus is who he is, but there's a possibility as you're walking that you're going to get tripped up on this stone. You're going to fall. You're going to hit it and, and fall because this stone isn't meeting your expectations. This stone is doing things that are unexpected, that don't fit in your categories. And so you can get tripped up by him. You can even fall away. Say, no, this doesn't make sense. This is, uh, this is too much. I'm out. And Jesus is saying, I think to John, I know I don't fit your expectations. I know I am utterly surprising, but blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. You're going to get tripped up. Of course you're going to get tripped up. Who would have guessed a, a crucified Messiah? But blessed is the one who gets tripped up, but gets back up and keeps on going with me. Okay? Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. John, I know this is hard. I know this is confusing. I know this isn't meeting your expectations. Here's what my ministry is, though. It speaks for itself. Blessed are you if you cannot fall away on account of me. And I think that's his word to us as well. Keep going. Get tripped up, fall, keep going. And so I want to I leave you. I know I've gone over today, but um, couldn't help myself. Um, 
I want to leave you with, you know, Emily mentioned this. For me, the, the question isn't don't doubt or do doubt. I always want to encourage people, doubt well. Like, are you in a place of doubt? Doubt well. And we, I want to be a community that doubts well. So I want, to, I want to just tell you what I think that means. Okay? First, I think it means doubt in community. Don't doubt alone. Okay? I think part of what created the doubt in John was he was so isolated. Imagine just being in a cell, stuck there in your head all the time. And he remedied that. He, he couldn't leave prison. He's like, I can send my people. I can at least create a little bit of connection here with Jesus. But I think we get in trouble when we start doubting alone. I see so many people, they start having doubts about Christianity, and then they withdraw. They let the doubts have, they withdraw from Christian community, the very source of what might actually be helpful for them in that. And so I want to encourage you, and think about maybe you have friends that you're thinking about right now. Don't doubt alone. Doubt in community. And for some of us, that means finding like one trusted friend who we can grab coffee with and say the thing we haven't been willing to say, like, I don't think I believe dot, dot, dot. Like, oh, I've never said this out loud before. Um, have those conversations. Don't do this alone. So I think that's doubting well as doubting in community. I think it means um, what I would call doubting faithfully. And here's maybe the, the, the most important thing that I think about doubt. I have seen so many people not doubt faithfully. And what I mean is people who let the, the, uh, the fact that they have a few doubts about things give them an excuse to live how they want. And it's like, you know, um, I've got some gray areas in here. I don't really know this book and all these things. And back in college, it was like, great, so I'll let that be the excuse to let me party on the weekends, right? Or sleep with my, my girlfriend or boyfriend or, or leave this marriage. I don't really know what I believe anyways. And so I'm going to let that kind of give me license to, to do what I want. And um, I want to encourage us all away from that. And we are such, I said earlier, we're such holistic beings that what we do in life impacts how we think in life. If you think we are pure, rational beings, I've got a few things to share with you, right? Here's how human beings live. We don't think principled lives and then live out our principles. We just start living. We just start doing stuff. And then we observe how we do things. And then we need to come up with beliefs that justify the way we're living. And so... Especially when we're in seasons of doubt, I want to say, don't let doubt become a license to live how you want. Even if you're not sure this guy's real, think, how would I think this guy would want me to live if he was real? Keep living that way as you engage in doubt. And then the last thing I would say is also be willing to doubt proactively. Like, go after. This is what I love about Emily's story. She was willing to dive into it. And that's the other thing I see. So many people, they have doubts, but they just move into this place of just kind of gray, but they don't, they, it, it feels so overwhelming, they don't do anything. So I see them, and then six months later, I talk to them again, and they haven't, they haven't done anything about it. They haven't taken any steps towards working through this. They're in the exact same place as they were before, probably a little bit less, because now they're just kind of, it's hard to be stuck in gray. And so what I want to say, if you're in places of, of doubt, pursue them proactively. And what that means is you have to give that doubt the due it deserves, but no more than that. 
And some of us um, aren't in college anymore. We have, have unlimited time to consider the nature of the universe, right? Now we have kids and, and spouses and grandkids and full-time jobs. And these, these questions feel so overwhelming, some, the, the big ones. Like, I don't even know how to, right? Like, I, I got a life to live. And so I want to say, you do have a life to live. But what could you commit to this? I, I'll just tell you, I was in a season where I was wrestling through an issue and I said, I can commit an hour, in a week, of, uh, uh, an hour a week to this thing. And that's what I did. So I carved out an hour a week. That's all I could, that's all I could take at the, at the time of my life. And um, I spent that hour sometimes reading books or writing emails to people that I care about or talking to people about it. So you only have what you got, but be proactive about it. All right, I've overspoken today. Um, this is a really important issue, though. And we want to be a place that, that has room for this, but we want to be people who doubt well and who do not fall away. Don't stumble on account of Jesus. So let's, just, let's go to prayer right now. And if you would just um, close your eyes with me. And let's bring ourselves first. Let's bring ourselves before the Lord. And this might not be an issue for you, but why don't you, in this room right now, um, as you're gathered with the Lord's people, bring what is in your heart before the Lord. If there's a, a place where you are offended by Jesus, or you're confused, or you just have lots of questions um, or doubts, or you don't even believe, why don't you... Take a moment to be brutally honest with him and with yourself and just, just name it. Not out loud, you don't have to name it out loud, but just, Lord, this is my reality. This is true about me. I don't believe, dot, 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 right? I struggle with whatever it is. Take a moment to do that work with him and then just sit with him in the reality of that. His loving, patient, gracious presence. And then let's do this. Let's, let's hold, why don't you hold one other person in your mind with the Lord and someone who you know who is on a journey of questions, doubts, wrestling. And I, I would guess we all have friends and family and folks like that. And maybe just hold them before the Lord and, and pray for them right now. Lord, this is a very complicated world we live in. Um, and we don't, there's so much we don't know. And um, I just pray that you would minister to us, especially in our places of doubt uh, and questions that you'd bring uh, answers, that you'd bring perspective, that you'd bring your grace, your freedom in those places, and pray that we'd be a community that helps walk with each other well in this area of life. May we be faithful spiritual friends to each other. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.